if you look at the whole picture of worship, it's like a, a giant pie chart. Our whole pie chart is worship to God, as in Romans 1. And so it's like we are a living sacrifice. That's beyond, but it's inclusive of music. But then when you look at the musical part, it's just one little sliver of pie, right? But it's a very important sliver of the pie because music was made to connect us emotionally, our hearts, our minds, our intellect, connect us emotionally to our Creator. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I am privileged to chat with a musical guest who is listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and Hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Boy, do I have a treat for you today. If you are a worship leader, you are definitely going to want to stick around for today's podcast with Joel Weldon. Joel is a voiceover actor and communication coach who spent years as a worship leader working with the likes of Promise Keepers, Young Life, Harvest Crusades, and Billy Graham, just to name a few. Joel has a real heart for worship that is so very contagious, and this podcast could actually be considered a masterclass on leading worship, so you definitely want to stick around. But before we chat with Joel, I want to share with you something I'm super excited about. The Christian Music Archive has partnered with Mercy, Inc., an international organization that is working to share the good news of Jesus Christ along with acts of compassion in Latin America, Africa, and South Asia. Their goal is to help transform communities in lasting and sustainable ways by working alongside local organizations that provide clean water, agricultural training, literacy, vocational training, as well as child sponsorship. And boy, these guys are doing some amazing work. So you might be asking yourself, what does it mean that the Christian Music Archive is partnering with Mercy Inc.? We have organized ourselves as a business-as-missions operation. Some people might call that profit-for-purpose or missionary entrepreneurship, but ultimately it means that any profits made from the Christian Music Archive go directly to supporting the greater impact of Mercy, Inc. So when you click on an advertisement on our website or buy an album through one of the affiliate links or even support us through Patreon, Part of every dollar you spend goes directly to Mercy. And we pay profit before we pay bills, so Mercy is getting money off the top of every dollar earned at the Christian Music Archive. During the coming months, I'm going to be sharing some stories of how Mercy, Inc. is impacting the world, and I'm hoping that you will join me in helping support this great organization, either by supporting the Christian Music Archive directly or by donating to Mercy, Inc. on their website. You can get more details about what it means that we are a business as mission by going to our website at christianmusicarchive.com slash BAM. That's B-A-M for business as mission. There you can learn about Mercy, Inc. and how we define business as mission. Oh, and you can also link directly to Mercy, Inc. and make a donation to them or learn more about their work. Would you take a few minutes and just quickly check out christianmusicarchive.com slash BAM. 
There you can learn more about our partnership with Mercy, Inc. And thanks in advance for your support and interest. Okay, now as promised, it's time for us to welcome Joel Weldon to the podcast. We're going to be talking about worship music, the state of the worship music industry, and look at what it means to be a worship leader. So join me in welcoming to the Christian Music Archive podcast, Joel Weldon. Dave, it's so good to be with you, man. What an honor. Seriously, what an honor, man, just to uh, to join you on this journey. Uh, was able to kind of check out some of the other things and some of the other interviews. And man, you're like, you're you're bringing back us old people, man. It's like, oh, it's so good to be with you again. <laughs> yeah, do you have your glasses and your teeth in? Yeah, yeah. But you also, you know, you always, you have some relevant artists that are up and coming and happening. And I, I just really dig it. It's really cool. Yeah, well, Great thank idea. you. Thank you. Yeah, well, we're trying to, you know, make sure that we give everybody an opportunity to hear about some of these great people, you yourself included, who've kind of helped us write the soundtrack of our Christian faith. And uh, mm. and you've mm -hmm. been doing that a long time. According to my count, you've been doing leading worship or coaching worship for about 20 years. Would you say that's right? Yeah, that's about right. You know, I, I was probably doing concerts prior to that, but really when... When my heart was drawn into doing worship and writing music uh, for worship was really at a place called Hume Lake Christian oh, sure. Camp, big conference center in California. And after the involvement there, you know, I was I was releasing albums uh, that were mostly concert style stuff. And then um, and then into the 90s, we started doing more worship oriented, uh, you know, now and then I throw a worship song on an album that was really a, a song directed directly to God and that churches could participate with. But but then it just became something I realized that I loved doing it. I loved leading people in that way. I, I love watching them come alive in a musical worship sense uh, in their own spiritual life. And that, that's really what cranked me up. And so we started, we started writing a lot of songs back then. Um, part, of the, part of the thing that motivated us was, you know, back in those days, there weren't that many participation type songs right. that... It, it was really prior to the Chris Tomlins and the Bethels and the Hillsong United stuff. It was really, uh, it was kind of on the early edge. It's, it was yeah. hard to find songs that, that especially younger generations could, you know, could connect with and participate with. So that was our goal was to do it that way. So, well, well, kind of in the seventies, we had Maranatha music and Maranatha praise and some of that stuff, which was kind of the early leading worship stuff. Mm -hmm. But then in the 90s, there really wasn't much worship worship until things like Sonic Flood or some of those kinds of things. Why do you think there was a gap between what we were doing early on in the Jesus music Maranatha age and now in this whole thing of what we call worship music going on right now? I, I think that what's going on now is we have caught up with the culture. The church has allowed the freedom for true artistic expression to really, uh, to really occur. And I think for a long time, uh, for whatever reasons, it was denominationally squelched. It mm. was uh, uh, legalistically squelched. It, it was like if any beat, remember, remember the guys, uh, I forget who their names were, but there were certain preachers out there. Oh, it sounds like that. It's of yeah. the devil. Yeah. And I remember those days very well. And, and I, during the days that we were really full-time forging ahead i was kicking and screaming against that and i'm looking at the <laughs> psalms of david and going one of the most beloved books of all scripture yeah. is a worship leader writing his songs on stringed instruments 
right? Yep. And, and he's right. They're not, <laughs> they're not pianos. They're not organs. They're, it's a stringed instrument. He's singing and he's writing words to the Lord in songs of praise. That's where I drew my inspiration for yeah. me. So I was like, we've got to, we've got to forge ahead. And then I think the culture, the culture eventually uh, started catching up, realizing that, you know what, this is something that we've been wrong about. And I think there was a lot of soul searching that went on. There were individuals who really felt they needed to turn a corner. Uh, you know, then you started getting bands uh, that were doing Christian music, rock music, contemporary music. And now and then a song would just hit that just connected with the church. Yeah. And it, but it, it took some time. It was, you know, I hate to say it, but the church sometimes is so full of itself that it doesn't really, it is not sensitive to the true word of God and what God wants from his people. Yeah. Um, because we all, a lot of times we like the safety and especially in America, we like the security of, of our freedom and our life and everybody, well, that's, you know, this is God's country. Well, yeah. Does that mean all the other countries aren't God's country? <laughs> right. You know I mean, so I think there's just been a major, a major shift, but it's happened over three decades. You know, realistically. So you talk about the culture thing. I think one of the big songs right now is what Waymaker, which was written by a South African. Yeah. You know, this Fan, is oh, and one of one of our our church's favorite songs right now. Yeah, I love that song. You know, it's been interesting for me because as I've been kind of digging into music history and, and the scripture, you know, the first time we really see music mentioned in the Bible is clear back in Genesis four, when one of the sons of, I forget which side it was, but was the, the person who played stringed instruments. Mm -hmm. And then we go up, like you said, to the Psalms where David is writing and, uh, and then we swing, we have thing, big events by like Martin Luther and Fanny Crosby. They were real active and using the music of their day to convey their worship of the Lord. Yep. And then you get Gloria Gaither and then there's a big gap until like Chris Tomlin and some of these other people come along. And so it's, it's just interesting for me to think about kind of like you said, why did the church get so stuck on itself that it couldn't grab the, the music of the day and use yeah. that to worship? Yeah. I mean, think about Amazing Grace being rooted in a, you know, in a, in a bar song. I yeah. mean, there's so many, so many elements of music. And when I teach people, you know, I do a lot of seminars, a lot of uh, guest training at churches that call me in. Sometimes it's because they want to take their worship teams to the next level. Sometimes it's just because they're bleeding and they need triage. Mm -hmm. You know, they need somebody to come in and say, hey, let me help you. Let me help the healing begin. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, I hate to say it, but worship wars has been the demise of many churches, many church splits, and it, it should never, ever be that way. So if I can re reorient people from a biblical perspective and say, you know what, this is really what worship's about. If that's not where you've been, then we need to do an adjustment, and that's going to be up to you and God to do that. But let me help, let me give you some food for thought and some stuff to think about. So to me, that I, that is when... I'm in my favorite place. I love to watch people turn a corner and truly realize what it is to lead people in worship and uh, using music that will get them to a place even as part of the journey of their own worship expression musically. You know, sometimes we're, so I used to do voices, you know, I'm, I'm a voice actor now. I don't know if right. you know that. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about um, that a little bit, I'm sure, but. Yeah, so, so I remember doing for like 12 years, I was the voice of Rosetta Stone. Oh, no right? kidding. Language training. So oh, it's yeah. like 
Rosetta Stone, the fastest way to learn a language guaranteed. Right now, if you call 1-800-52, you get a free <laughs> copy of our new software. You know, yeah. I would do that for like 12 years for them. And, you know, I kind of look at the whole language training thing and worship when it comes to the musical part of worship, it's very, if you look at the whole picture of worship, it's like a, a giant pie chart. Our whole pie chart is worship to God, you know, as in Romans one, right? Yep. And so it's like, we are, we are a living sacrifice. And so it, that's beyond, but it's inclusive of music. But then when you look at the musical part, it's just one little sliver of pie, hmm. right? But it's a very important sliver of the pie because music was made to connect us emotionally, our hearts, our minds, our intellect, connect us emotionally to our creator. Yeah. That, that is the essence of why music is. So even when you listen to a, an ACDC song, all right, you're still experiencing the power of music. Yeah. But like anything else, it's been misdirected, it's been misaligned, it's been misused outside of the parameters of why it was originally made. Now, I'm not a purist and saying every music has to honor God. <laughs> right. I'm just saying that you have to have the right perspective that, you know, music you enjoy, that's that's a gift from God. Even if it doesn't mention Jesus, even if it doesn't, you know, lead you to a personal truth of scripture, it's still part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. And God gave that to us as something to enjoy. So when you start looking at that whole perspective and you go, that's really, let's bring it back to where it really means something to each one of us. And then we grow from there and God help us as we try to get the right perspective. Well, and you know, I think, uh, I always use this example. I can tell you best Western hotels phone number because of a jingle and, <laughs> you know, and I still yep. remember it because of that jingle. But I, I think of, of, you know, thy word have I hid in my heart. So I might not sin against thee, but that a lot of that hiding can happen through music. Oh, big time. Big time. I remember one of the songs we wrote was based on Romans 8, 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that song with that verse became such a staple at the concerts and the worship events we would do. And people would pick up on you. You repeat that four times, you build it up, you make it huge. Yeah. Then you bring it down to just a guitar and let everybody sing it again. And the truth just sinks in. I just love that. Yeah. Sorry. You know, there was, there was no background and I'm just speaking in a microphone. So sorry, a little, <laughs> little, uh, my intonation is not always perfect. I'll add some reverb in post-mix. <laughs> <laughs> add some reverb. Add the pitch corrector. You know, you <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because there, there was a big, huge push for a long time in the, is this music Christian or is it not? And, mm -hmm. and I think that that's kind of gone away and a little bit more to, is this music worship or not? So speak a little bit of songs that are vertical versus songs that are horizontal and the, mm -hmm. the place of both. Yeah, I, I personally think that there's a place for both within the context of worship. Um, I think I think many churches are, they're narrowly, narrowly splitting hairs mm. where they really shouldn't be. Um, I think that there are, if you want to, um, for example, 
if you think that it's compromising to do that within the context of worship, to, to take a song like uh, Reckless Love and go, well, reckless isn't a real accurate word for Jesus' love for me. Hmm. And, and that's, I've heard that numerous times. Is that a correct way to portray Jesus' love? Okay. Well, when you look back to even how we experience God's word in the English language, it's not perfect compared to translating from the Greek or the Arabic, right? Right. You're doing the best we can. Why do you think we have so many translations? Yeah. And those translations, if if a if someone in the early 1800s would would be able to read our translation now, the new uh, living translation, for example, yeah. they'd be so perplexed. They wouldn't mm. have a clue what 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 in the world how strange is that language and that word sounds like a word i used when i was describing cleaning out the barn in the uh, in our farm <laughs> i can't use that word right so you know what i'm saying so now suddenly it's like they're, they're they're splitting hairs over well you didn't translate that word correctly or you didn't capture the original meaning and we're just kind of going you know what let's allow god to help us with those translations but in the in the area of artistic expression a lot of people don't realize that God, being the ultimate creator, has given every one of us the ability to create. Mm. And that creation, that creation expression, creative expression, involves all the different aspects of life. And we have such, such incredible license, I say. I say God has given us license to create and honor the Lord. It's been part mm. of his description of worship since way back. Yeah, he gave us the, the the rules in the temple. He gave us all those things, but all those songs that David wrote, right? All the songs that were played in the temple, they had to come through someone's creativity, yeah, being under inspiration from Almighty God. And then we get to share in them and experience them. Mm. And they become such a wonderful expression. I don't care if you're looking at painting paintings, your, you know, the area of photography, all of it that has something to do with being creative. You know, I, I even tell people just as a sidebar, I go, well, I'm not, they'll, they'll say, I'm not creative. And I say, yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Can you assemble a sentence mm. with a bunch of random words that you, you have in your filing system in your head? Can you assemble a sentence? Well, yeah. Bam. Wow. Let's start there. Yeah. That's where you are. You are you are creating as you go every time you have a conversation. Yeah. So so it's time for people to just shed the little the presuppositions and some of those, you know, discriminatory statements against creativity. And I go, yeah, you're not going to do something that's against the word of God, but you're going to use all the creativity God's given you mm. to express your gratitude your humility, your amazing sense of, of uh, depravity. You're, you're going to express then your sense of wholeness after being forgiven. So all those things, man, how many ways can you say it? Use the word reckless, I say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's, that, for me, that's, you know, that's one of those areas because I live in the world of creativity mm -hmm. and expression and communication. Um, and God's challenged me on some of that stuff over the years. Well, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, God is a God of creativity, as you said, and he, and I've heard this said a lot of times, he actually made music. It's the devil that defiled it. So he yep. made meter, he made tonality, yep. he made rhyme, but he also made us in his image. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, well, if God is the creator, 
and we're made in his image, then we are made to create. And I'd never thought oh, yeah. of that before. Yeah. Yeah. Zechariah, when he says, you know, the Lord, I sing over, uh, the Lord sings over me. Yeah. My goodness. God participates. For Take it back to the very basics when Jesus was in the upper room, right after the Lord's Supper, what'd they do? They sang a song together. Mm -hmm. They sang a song, and that was a song, I'll guarantee you, it was a song of worshiping yeah. to God. And they sang, and Jesus, did they say, they all sang it, but they sang it to Jesus, and Jesus didn't sing? No, it says <laughs> that they all sang a song together. Yeah. And that would be Jesus singing with us, God with us. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I feel a little bit remiss because we jumped right into the kind of the meat of our conversation and some of our listeners may go, yeah, well, what does this guy know? And I thought, you know, <laughs> we should probably dig in a little bit to, to who is Joel and how did you get involved in music and making music and how did you become so hungry to use music as worship? So let's go back to the beginning. How did you get started making music and when did you find that music was an expression of your faith? I went to college in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it was a uh, it was called Bethel College okay. at the time. It's uh, it's called Bethel University now, like many have changed to university. Yeah. But that was my first year of college, and I I went as a hobby guitar player, singer. You know, I really enjoyed mm -hmm. it. But my goal was to get a degree and be very successful, and you know, be a doctor. I really enjoyed. Mm. I enjoyed biology and science. And so I, I thought I'm going to go pre-med. Well, the first year, and, and at the time, I'm not, I'm not a believer. I, I'd grown up in the church. I'd grown up going to a little Baptist church that my mom and dad took me to and, until I was in junior high. And I just I just don't want to go anymore. I, I stopped going. Um, my parents, over the years, their faith has grown tremendously. But, you know, back during that season of my life, it wasn't a priority for us as a family. Mm. Um, I knew that my mom was real involved in, in church. And, you know, I, I want to say that I want to temper that because, you know, mom and dad were always committed, very active in serving. But when it came to me and the rest of our family, not so much. Mm. So it was interesting to me, but I went to Bethel College my first year. When you're at Bethel, I had lied on my entrance. Are you a believer? Do you believe Jesus? I'm thinking, yeah, I'm an American, you know, and I, I signed <laughs> yeah. my name. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm in the college and I'm enjoying it. It's a great school. And I'm continuing to go home on weekends and play bass guitar and make money at the VFW halls and the, and the polka places. Cause it's Minnesota, man. Yeah. Oompa, but you know, you made money. Um, <laughs> and so then and I, I'm, uh, my second semester is when I have to take the required Bible class. Mm as part of my, my program there at Bethel. I'm thinking, oh, okay, whatever. So I'm at New Testament survey, and who is there teaching the class but a brand new professor to Bethel, and his name was Dr. John Piper. Oh. And so I'm taking New Testament survey from this little John Lennon-looking guy. Yeah. And, and he's got the cross around his neck and the little glasses and the whole thing, and I'm thinking... Oh man, here we go. We're kind of gone back to the to the Gregorian chants or something, you know. And I'm and but then when I get in the class and we're starting to go through New Testament, I'm like, this is this is profound. I have never heard this before in my life. I thought I knew who Jesus was just because of my presuppositions and growing up in Sunday school. But yeah. then so within just a little while, I 
God got a hold of me. I mean, you know, you, you hear about the hound of heaven, right? Yeah. That expression that God's spirit starts to just chase after you. That was happening to me in a big way. I mean, he was nipping at my heels as fast as I would run. And within several weeks and attending that class, one night I just, I knelt down at my bedside and I said, Lord, I'm sorry, I, I need you. And I invited Christ into my life. And, you know, I have to say, it was this giant earthquake. The sun went dark and there was lightning bolts. Cut, and I'm just joking. It didn't yeah. happen that way. <laughs> but for some people, it does. And it didn't happen that way for me. But I knew that there was a change inside. And um, from that point on, my perspective was totally new. And I, I love music. I was still playing with, you know, several different bands as a bass player and a backup guy. And then I ended up thinking, you know, I ended that year. I, I just have to get out of here. So I decided mm. I was going to just explore the world. I'd never left Minnesota really, except for a couple of family vacations growing up as a kid. But I loaded up my truck and my guitar and my old amplifier. I had a Fender amp. I loaded it up with anything I owned. And I, I just started driving out West. I stayed with huh. a, a family in Denver, uh, Arizona, ended up in California, staying with my, my aunt and uncle. And he was on staff at a church. And I, as a believer now, I was like, just, I was hungry, yeah. you know? And so I went through a discipleship program there and I got involved with some, a band of, of bluegrass guys and they were playing bluegrass music. It was kind of Christian bluegrass music. And I, I just really loved it. So I started playing with them and then I met a guy named Dennis Agajanian. Oh yeah. I don't know if you went back and listened. Uh, we interviewed uh, Dennis in our podcast. I saw that. I didn't hear it though. I didn't listen oh, to his whole podcast. What a character! What a love. oh, he's a character, man. A guy he's who loves great. God beyond belief. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's been so faithful over the years, man. Yeah. I just so I I traveled with him for about three years, three and a half years as a bass player, and we traveled the world. Man. Yeah, I I had never experienced ministry at you know going from my local church and doing local things for Youth for Christ, and all of a sudden I'm I'm on a platform doing a Billy Graham crusade and. Liverpool, England. And, and, I'm, and there's 60,000 people out there. And I'm just, I'm just like, you, you know, if you can imagine those, uh, those shots of an ostrich face where the eyes are wide open, you know what I mean? They're looking <laughs> yeah. at, oh, 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 yeah. that was me. I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, and yeah. I'm, I'm playing bass and it was just, it was surreal. Um, but I watched Billy Graham's team. I watched Dennis. I watched Franklin being a part of that, you know, up and coming uh, ministry of his. And man, it was, for me, it was transformative. And I realized that God has a place for me doing something way bigger um, in my eyes than what I'd ever imagined. Um, so it was, it was really fun. I, you know, I toured with Dennis for those years and then did a lot of songwriting. You know, he, he ended up recording 11 of my songs over the years, cool. one of which is uh, Lord Give Us America, the one yep. that one he's used so much. Yeah. So I, I, I wrote that song. I remember playing it for him in the pickup truck. Dennis, you need to do this song. Yeah. This is your song, man. And uh, I wrote it with a friend named Chris Merkling, and the two of us went, man, that's Dennis's song. Yeah. And then Dennis made it his own, and it just went huge, you know. Um, but that's how it kind of began. Then I, I did an album on my own and um, started doing, you know, I was an indie. I was, I was just doing as an indie artist, right. I would travel around. Um, one day I almost got signed to Pachyderm Records with the Elefante brothers. Yeah, wow. They, uh, they really wanted me. And then we did some meetings and things changed. And, uh, you know, it's just God changes the circumstances. And you go, well, yeah, it's probably not the right thing to do. And uh, 
And I believe that was true at the time. So then I just kept doing what I was doing. So it sounds like you were kind of directed all the way along, I mean, into the worship genre, because I mean, you were playing in church right away. You were playing, I mean, yes, you had your bluegrass band, you had some of these others, but you were on a collision course with a career in worship. Yeah. It all began back then. Yeah. And I realized the power of a song. Um, I love writing story songs, you know, mm -hmm. they've always been kind of the heart of what I love to do. But I watched when people would participate in just, a, I'd pull out a worship song, somebody else's worship song in the middle of a concert, because, you know, there's something that draws people in about a song to Jesus, yeah. a song to the Lord. And people would just sing and I'm thinking, oh man, I just, there's nothing better than this. It's a, it's a taste of eternity as far mm -hmm. as that's concerned. Yeah. yeah. So those were just, those were wonderful times. And I just really concentrated then on writing songs for the church for quite a while. Well, so then you were working with like Promise Keepers and Young Life yes. and Harvest yep. Crusade and. Yeah. Wow. Greg Laurie, you know, that I was doing stuff with Dennis at first. I met all that gang. I met uh, the people at Promise Keepers. You know, they use Lord Give Us America as one of their themes one year. There's all kinds of things were happening. Um, a song we wrote called Overwhelmed got put on it was before the big daddy weave version mm -hmm. and we song called overwhelm got put on a uh, young life project um that and only you we did a song called only you so they started spreading out i remember going to russia one time and i was there with uh, an organization i'm up in this upper room church and I, they have you know i'm i'm just a guest brother in the lord gonna do a few songs yeah. for them and they're gonna be translated and during their worship set before i'm on they sing our song only you in Russian. Oh. And I'm just a I'm just a new I'm just a kid barely, you know, cutting my teeth on this whole thing. It just blew me away. I was I was like, Lord, I don't deserve this. I just don't deserve this being a part of something that's so wonderful, you know. And I just came back very even more encouraged. Um, that was, you know, that was many years ago now. I, I've heard of people talking about the first time they hear their single on the radio, you know, but yeah. I can only imagine what it would be like to, you know, be in a random church and all of a sudden hear, you know, the congregation singing your song. Yeah. Yeah. And they had no idea it was my song. They just, they're, they're just doing it Russian because they picked it up as a, one of their, you know, their language of worship, right? Like Rosetta Stone, you teach yeah. them the language of worship, yeah. music becomes that. And it was like, oh my goodness, it was great. Uh, and I'm sorry, Dave, I ramble a lot, man. No, sorry. no, it's fascinating. And we, I try, as I'm learning how to do these podcasts, I try to get out of the way and let people talk because my goodness, the story is just amazing of how God leads and how mm -hmm. God all the way along was opening doors for you, even though you didn't realize that you're going to Bethel was the, the, trigger if you will for the next piece of the trajectory which is you know playing music out and then getting yep. connected with folks i just that just fascinates me yeah so yeah it's, it's it's pretty i look back and i you know the older you get you realize the word the word uh, coincidence is pretty much gone <laughs> yeah. you know it's kind of replaced with providence yeah and 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 hang on for the ride, man. That's kind of what it is because God has things in mind that you have no clue what he, what he's doing Yeah. until it just kind of unfolds before you and you're, you just step through the doors and wow, it's, it's so exciting. It really is. If, if we just let God go and do his thing and hang yep. on for the ride, we're going to go for an amazing trip, aren't we? Yep. So true. Yeah. So true. Well, so you, uh, you had quite a, quite a run of doing stuff and then 
um, at some point, because I don't think you've had a new album, I could be wrong on this, but since about 2000, 2001, something like that, is that correct? Yeah, it's been a long time since I did a worship album. I did um, added a few new songs and did a double CD, most of my performance type stuff. And there was some worship, some of our worship songs were mixed into that. That was called Along the Way. Um, and you can still listen to that stuff on, you know, Apple Music and Spotify. But um, what was, so what was that pivot for you? What was the, what was the change that God was moving in your life to do something different? Yeah, you know, so I went through a, a divorce in 1994. And I had two little kids, four years and six years at the time. Um, that was a that was a major pivotal point for me. Things had to change, and I knew I needed to be home all the time to to be their dad and to be with them. Sure. And it was a difficult for it was difficult for everyone in the family. It was a very very tough time. Of course. So so you know when that happens, regardless, you know you hear the thing goes, oh, whose fault was it? And blah blah blah. You know what? we're imperfect humans yeah. and and at that time you just you you just you're just trying to survive and you know there's you look back and you go we're two imperfect humans that made mistakes and um but god can heal all that stuff and that's really mm -hmm. what he's done so at the time though there was no more ministry for me and so i needed to stay home i shouldn't have been traveling so i just stopped traveling mm -hmm. um and I, a good friend of mine, Dan Mortimer, I, I'd met him doing Luis Palau Crusades. Okay. Dan was a TV director for Luis Palau. And so I met Dan and he was in Spokane, Washington, not far from where we lived. Uh -huh. And I went to have coffee with him and he goes, he goes, man, we need to pray. So we prayed and he said, I'm, I'm sorry you're going through this. And man, and I said, you know, if you, maybe you have some musical jobs, um, cause I'm looking for work. I need to figure out <laughs> yeah. how to stay alive right? yeah. and feed these kids. And so he goes, well, you know what? I don't do jingles, but you know, Joel, let's, let's just see what happens at that moment. Okay, Dave, at that moment, back when they had faxes, uh -huh. the fax phone rang and we watched it come in together. We're like kind of saying our goodbyes and he's looking at the sheet coming through and it's hand scribbled on this sheet on the ad agency's uh, letterhead. And he goes, Hey, Dano, I know you don't do jingles, but I need a, a jingle for Knutson Chevrolet by next Friday. I only have 3000 bucks. Any ideas? Big question mark, question oh, wow. mark. Wow. Wow. I'm like, we both, we both are like, um, <laughs> God is real. Is this and really the ad like, agency or is this God sending you a fax? Yeah. Seriously. That's exactly. Maybe it was the Lord wrote it with his hand and just, you know, then he took over the agent, but no, it, it worked out that I did that jingle and I realized that I could make a living, you know, doing jingles. And, um, that's what I did. You talked about jingles earlier. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. So I did a bunch of that, and I got hooked up with a production company doing a lot of different things uh, through Dan Mortimer. And then I was doing commercials. I was I was directing small shoots on video and then shoots on uh, motion picture film back when they did that. Yeah. And then uh, I was a, an account executive for the production company dealing with the ad agents and then I was watching people cast voice talent, watching them cast on camera talent. I got to direct a few things myself and thought this is fascinating. I can make a good living. And then one day, one of the clients said, our voice guy can't show up. And it was a big, uh, he's, he's huge now, but uh, it was back then he had two different Toyota dealerships okay. in Spokane, Washington. And he goes, uh, my guy can't show up. You know, Joel, I've always, I really like your voice, man. I just, I just need you to, to do this so I could at least put it to picture and then 
until I get the the other guy to come in sure. and overdub it. Yeah. So I did these two spots and they fired the other guy and hired me and I did that for wow <laughs> the next bunch of years. Then I was doing healthcare for Kaiser Permanente and banks and then it just took off and I got an agent in uh, Florida as a non-union actor. They got me a lot of work uh, and then I then expanded to Beverly Hills eventually in New York. And so I have a New York agent and a Beverly Hills agent. Crazy. And I'm a SAG voice actor. And that's wow. What I do. Wow. Yeah. So it, it led to that. Again, God providing for a stage in life where you needed to be home. You needed yep. to, to be yep. available for your family. And, and again, God's provided. So I'm curious, Joel, as a, uh, what's the word I want to use? As somebody who was so ingrained in worship, I'm mm -hmm. sure just because of that transition in your life, worship didn't stop for you. So what, what did, how did worship change for you during that tough season? I think it became a lot more personal. You know, when you're doing it for many years, there are times that you, and anyone who's led worship at a church, you know, worship pastors are some of the most unsung heroes mm. in the faith, as far as I'm concerned. Because, you know, they're getting up to lead something really, really incredibly pivotal in people's lives to their worship experience, their relationship with God. And they do it week after week after week after week. Right. Oh, there's a new song. And they do that again and again and again. <laughs> and if you have a church for five, five services, you've already done the song 12 times yeah. through the week, including rehearsals. And the church has experienced it once. And then, but you really have to repeat that song many times for it to become part of their language, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And their vocabulary. And, uh, oh man, but I remember thinking, this is my job. Well, then when the, when the trials come and you realize that, wow, I've never had to lean on that promise from God, or I've never had to lean on that piece of scripture, but now you do. And suddenly all the songs that you did and you took them for granted, suddenly all the, all the songs just connect and they, you cry, you worship, and you pour your heart out and in a brand new way. And it becomes brand new. It becomes new wine. And it's mm -hmm. just amazing. I just look back and go, oh, man, God, you, you wrought a wonder in my own life through the midst of incredible hardship. So, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of the encouragement to do your daily devotions, because even though maybe you don't need what you are reading right now, that at some point this will become very pivotal in what you need and it'll be oh so true dave again hiding the word in your heart so that it's available when you need it yeah and the the other fact the other fact of that is that that verse that same verse that you knew as a kid had a certain meaning mm -hmm. then and then it had a different meaning when you're 30 and then it has a different meaning when you're 50 yeah um it it just the word of god is is alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you see the reality of that as life goes on. And uh, it's it's really fun. So, hey, I got to tell you, though, about a, a new worship project we did. Okay. I formed, I formed a group called Firma Collective, F-I-R-M-A, with my friend Tom Magradician. And we did a little Kickstarter, and we had a few people because, you know, in this as a voice actor in L.A. and Hollywood, you get to know a lot of people. Sure. There are a lot of believers out in, you know, air quotes, the industry, right? <laughs> right. And, and you connect with them and you go, man, wouldn't it be cool to do a project where we just write music for, for the church? And so we got, Tom and I got together, wrote a whole bunch of songs, and then we had a couple worship leaders, uh, one of which 
has been a she's a SAG actress and she's done a whole bunch of little parts on smaller movies and but she's an amazing singer and worship leader Lexi Jones is her name and we just the four of us got together and did all this music and uh it's called Firma Collective okay. so if you want to check out I don't sing any of those but we we wrote them and produced them and uh, the song Mercy's Tree that was sung by Lexi is I think it's about 2 million streams on Spotify. So it's had millions of streams and wow. it got, it uh, hit the, the Christian charts and it was top five on, uh, on the new and noteworthy on billboard for a while. So it, it really got a lot of coverage. And, uh, but you guys, if you're interested in, in what I'm doing, that would be a real good one. At least listen to that one song. It's called mercy's yeah. tree. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. include a link to that in our show notes yeah. so that we yeah, can throw that in. We can do That's that. Really yeah. So you're now, heavily involved in commercial voice acting and uh, mm -hmm. consulting, that kind of thing, but you're still doing coaching of worship, right? Yeah. You know, um, I have an organization we started called empower your platform EYP and, uh, it incorporates for me, everything having to do with communication. It has to do with being a better speaker, a better presenter, a better worship leader, um, so all of that, it, there was a, an organization that I started, it was just really a program called O2 worship. And it was basically, I'd come in for a week and I'd work with your team and it was like oxygen. So O2 mm, worship, sure. it was like oxygen for your team. And I did that at, at, I don't know, I must've done it at 80 to hundred churches over the years, just watching God use certain tools I'd learned to really become a better leader. I think the biggest part that's ignored or that's overlooked when it comes to worship leadership in the church is how you make connection with the body you serve. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that happens on the platform, but there's also a lot of it that happens behind the scenes. And there has to be, there has to be a, a paradigm that you create for your church where you rest in that paradigm. And that ends up being a paradigm of servanthood, of loving the people that are, are there in front of you, even those that are unlovable and, and creating that attitude, that Christ-like attitude, every time you step on the platform. And the one thing that I always emphasize, and I train people to do this, if you only have 20 minutes in a worship set on a typical church situation, there has to be at least one, I would call it a moment People call them different things, but it's just a tiny moment where you're going to share your heart. Mm -hmm. And and unless you do that, you're no different than Justin Bieber doing a concert on a stage. Mm -hmm. In essence, yes, you're 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 doing music and people know that it's worship, but you're not helping them. You're not developing their language of worship. Right. And the only way they're going to follow you to learn that language of worship is if they know you. And as if they trust you. Mm. And if those two things aren't happening, nobody really has a reason to deeply follow you. Yeah. So I really focus on that. You know, I've worked with pastors on how to deliver better stories in your sermons. As a voice actor, you learn so many things about communication that, that if you just use them as a worship leader on a microphone every week, mm -hmm. My word, people will, you will just see, um, and I've seen it over and over. That's why it went so well for so long is <laughs> right. people just light up and they get to know who you are. They get to know your, your weaknesses, your, your family. They get to know your situation. They connect with you. And then you say, 
we're going to do the core, we're going to do the bridge of this song. And there's a little moment right between, you know, great are you Lord, for example. Yeah. And now you're about to go on the bridge. It's like, all the earth will shout your, before you do that, share about a minute of how something happened in your life. It's a three prong approach. Something happened in your life. Then you ask them, can you relate? Has something happened in your life similar? Mm -hmm. And then you give them God's answer, which we are about to sing in the bridge of this song. And when that happens, oh man, people connect and, and you just do it every week. Very simple. And it just, it transforms people. So that, that drives me now. I still love music. I love leading worship, but passing that, that baton on to the worship leaders and the worship teams uh, coming after me, that, that cranks me up, man. Well, it reminds me a little bit of the, I, I work for a mission organization called Mercy Inc. And I do some volunteer work for them, but their philosophy is you can't tell people about Jesus if their stomach is rumbling. You can't tell people about Jesus if they're hurting and they're in pain. You can't yep. tell about people about Jesus unless you've connected with them and solved a problem that they have that seemingly is insurmountable to them. But what you're talking about in this communication piece is, again, that connection piece, that saying, this is, I'm not a star on the stage. I am just like you, and this is how, through this song, God has really impacted me, and maybe it can impact yep. you. It's the same kind yep. of thing. Yeah, and I know many of the other artists that you've um, interviewed, they understand, you know, they're they're well aware of some of that. For me to be able to codify it, though, and teach it to someone else, and that's where they start, then you start making it your own. But yeah. it, but unless you start with a system that really helps them, because so many people are, they're, they're introverts, they're, you know, yeah. they're way too shy, they don't enjoy talking. And man, I used to be that way a long time ago. And now it's like God has brought me full circle and I've experienced things. I go, there are techniques that will help everyone yeah. really be more effective. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've already started the masterclass of how to lead worship. So that's right. My, this next <laughs> that's question right. has kind of already been answered, but if you were going to give one piece of advice to a worship leader who uh, it could be a small church of you know twenty people or a congregation of a thousand. What would you say would be your first go-to in making sure that your heart is right to be able to 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 be that leader of worship? Well, that's a that's a good question, Dave. That's a that's a really tough one to answer in one little point. But let me try. You can have three. <laughs> three points. Okay, three points. Okay, so I would say what I've always reminded every team I've worked with. And I say, even if you don't know me, right? And I'm a, I'm a guest and I'm here with you as a team. Mm -hmm. I just know that you and I have the same God that we serve. And I, and I want to know that you and I can at least try before we're out there to say, Lord, I want to focus on one thing. And that is honoring you and leading others to do the same, mm -hmm. right? So my job and your job as a team and we're all going to do this together because it's just not my role as the worship leader. You're all leaders. But your overarching job, right, as a worship leader is that you're going to draw them in and you're going to direct them up. Mm -hmm. You draw them in, you direct them up. Repeat after me. <laughs> draw them in, direct them up. That's what yep. you do. And if you do that, and that's everything you do. And that, that has a lot to do with your loving people with your eyes mm -hmm. into the eye contact. You know, you're not putting on the phony smiley face and going, Hey, here we are. You know, but you look at people 
and you you literally say, Lord, help me to love that person, mm -hmm. that person with their arms folded in the back. And the guy is so, you could tell he's angry, he's hurting. And I just looked him in the eye and he couldn't hold my gaze. He looks away. Yeah. So Lord, help me to love that guy. Help me to look at him and love him and help me to know, help them to know that I love them the way you love them. And if the whole team is able to do that in their own, in their own person, no pre, no pretense, right. just be themselves, but love the people out there the way they play. You love God and you love people. You love God and you love people, but love those people. And it, it, it begins to just change the whole reason why you're there. You could even have a total train wreck musically, crash and burn. <laughs> and you know what? If your heart is there, nobody cares. Yeah. They don't care. It's like, hey, we all make mistakes. Let's start it again. We all started in three different keys. Yeah. Let's try it again <laughs> all together in A. Yeah. And then people don't care. They, they, they connect with you and they go, yeah, good. I'm not the only one that messes up in my life. Mm -hmm. and, and suddenly you create an environment where it's safe and it's wonderful and we're on a journey together and people sense that. And I tell the teams, I go, nobody's going to be able to verbalize that. Mm -hmm. They just leave this room knowing they had an experience with God and knowing that they were encouraged and they want to come back. You're building a worship community. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Joel, thank you so much. So if, if we have people who are listening who would like to be uh, involved a little bit more in your empowering your platform, how would they, how would they get a hold of you for that? Sure. You know, um, they could go to empoweryourplatform.com. And again, it's not, it's not necessarily a Christian site. You know, it's a communication site. So it's about our training techniques. Right. I also do voice acting classes for anyone and every, you don't have to be a Christian to take it. I've been doing that in LA and Burbank for several years. So I do it online now, which is really fun. Yeah. It's part of EYP. So if you go to empoweryourplatform.com and just sign up for the email list. And then I, I send things out about worship, about what we're doing with pastors, um, speaking techniques, but everything else. Um, but we're actually going to take the O2 worship site and incorporate it into EYP. So that's part of our, our plan for, for 2021 okay. is getting that all uh, just kind of updated and all centralized. Because yeah. that's really the heart of what I do is teaching people to communicate better. And a lot of that carries over to worship teams. Well, and I think uh, as we've discovered this past year, our world needs more communication experts. Oh, <laughs> certainly. You know, and we all have, our, well, we should have done that, should have done this. But, you know, if people just had a lot more face-to-face -face conversations instead of flame throwing on social media, we'd be way, way better off, right? Well, Joel, one of the things that we do every Saturday is I send out a newsletter and it has prayer requests for different musicians and people who have been working in worship and so forth. How can we be praying for you specifically in the weeks and months to come? You know what? I, I would humbly ask that you would help us to crystallize our message to the world. I, I really do have a heart for those who really struggle with communication. Um, there are so many people that I have seen really agonize over, uh, over having to be in front of people and having to connect with people, having to speak. So I'm, I'm on a mission to allow people, especially people in the church, pastors, lay leaders, worship leaders, to be able to become better communicators and really affect the world by sharing Jesus in an authentic and a non-threatening way to the world around us. And that drives me. So you could, you could pray for focus on that. Um, I'm in the early stages of the potential of a, a really effective book with a, a writer I really respect to co-write with me. 
So some, some things like that would be tremendous. Um, but I think even when it comes to worship community, because this is a podcast about worship, there are so many people in the worship community that right now are really hurting. They have had the toughest year of their lives. Nobody came through with, with finances to help them out in their careers. It was, it was like they didn't exist. Uh, as far as the government was concerned, it's like, wow, they're really not that important. We thought restaurants, restaurants are bad. All the musicians of the world are just, they're tanking it. Even from big, big uh, touring groups with musicians that support those big bands, they're, they're all hurt. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would really just go before the Lord and provide them miraculous sustenance where they can see it was the hand of God that provided for them. And, uh, and, and we as the church who prayed and said, Lord, intervene here. Help, help these faithful servants who get very little accolades. Um, more, more often than not, they get what used to be called a comment card, but now they just get emails. All those people out there, God bless them and, and support them and hold them in your hand. What did I tell you? Don't you just love Joel's heart for worship? I appreciate the reminder that worship isn't something we just do at church on Sunday. Singing worship is just one slice of that worship pie that we should be living every day. I like how Psalm 98 verses 4 through 6 states it. It says, Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with a harp and with a melodious song, with trumpets and with the sound of the ram's horn. As a trumpet player, I really love that verse. I also think of Paul and Silas as they sat in jail, and it's described in Acts 16. Here they were, locked in chains in the deepest, darkest part of the jail, and yet what were they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the Bible says all of the prisoners were listening to them. I I love how the worship they were doing, not as an organized band on the Sunday morning platform, but in a really difficult time, turned into something so beautiful. Not only was everyone released from their chains, but the jailer and his entire family became believers and were baptized. Would all this have happened without worship? Maybe. But worship led to freedom and to the conversion of a jailer and everyone in their household. So it seems to me that true worship is a pretty important thing for us to do in our daily lives. And I'm really giving a great big thanks to Joel Weldon for helping us lead this worship masterclass today. I hope we can apply some of what we learned today to our daily lives, not just as worship leaders, but as true worshipers of Jesus. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, 
Remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>